if we're hunting, I would call a committed state of mind. So it's commitment, it's focus. There's a specific result or destination outcome that is what everything's about. Everything's organized for that. And the brain naturally screens out everything that's irrelevant to whatever that focus is. And this is one of the things that causes a lot of trouble between men and women. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. My name is Ben Pakulski and I am host of this podcast. Today's guest is going to blow your mind. I didn't even know or may not know that I get to work personally with a lot of really high performers. I work with a lot of professional athletes. I work with high-end executives, entrepreneurs, uh, really anyone who wants to push their physical capability because they know it's the path to optimize mental capability. It's the, They know for many people it's the path to a high level of fulfillment and ultimately being able to live this life like an adventure. What you may not also know is that a large percentage of these men that I work with are also struggling to really get fulfillment from their relationships. That's not to say that they're not happy. That's not to say that they're not uh, in a committed relationship. But oftentimes, a lot of these guys will come to me and say, you know, Ben, I wish my relationship was better. I wish I could feel more connected to my wife. I wish maybe, or my partner, and I wish maybe that we had a little bit more uh, connection and through communication. And so while it doesn't seem connected to performance, the guys who do have this at home are the ones who say, you know, man, I feel great. I feel like I'm thriving in business. I'm thriving in my body. I go home and I get to take that armor off that so many men are accumulating throughout the day, throughout their life. They're going out into the world and they're ultimately hunting. They're pursuing, they're attacking things that mean something to them, that are significant for them to either provide for themselves, for their families, and for their, their tribe. And so going home to a whole relationship that is unfulfilled, unsatisfied, or even in any ways uh, disconnected is a, an enormous burden, an enormous stress, a pain that we all want to solve. Every man in this world, in, this, in his soul, I believe, wants to have a deeply connected, committed relationship that ultimately is supportive. The people who, who I know are most successful in this world are the ones who have peace at home. They have connection at home. They have love at home. And today's guest is going to blow your mind, blew my, blew my mind. And that's why I just had to have her on the podcast. And I continue to consume her content voraciously. I know there's just so much information out there for us to consume. There's so many options, right? We can, we can learn from so many different people. But I give you my word that today's guest is uh, just going to completely turn your world upside down when it comes to understanding communication between men and women, understanding your own dynamic. Uh, she has so much faith and grace in the humans that are in front of her, both male and female. And I absolutely am thrilled to bring you Alison Armstrong to the Muslim Intelligence Podcast. If you haven't heard of Alison before, the truth is either of I. And because I'm so focused on, I want to make my brain better, I want to make my body better, I want to make my nervous system better, I want to make my training better, I don't often think of how much relationships play into quality of life and productivity and ultimately output. So the people who are succeeding in life are the ones that have all of their domains of life in order. And gents, ladies, I suggest you do not sleep on this podcast. Get out of paper and pen. You're going to absolutely love Allison. When you're done this podcast, you're going to go to muscleintelligence.com slash podcast, check out the show notes and get links to all of the things that we speak of here, all of her courses, 
and uh, how you can access a lot of the information Austin provides online, whether free or paid. I give you my word, you're going to want to go and engage with this. Thank you, Allison, for uh, being on the podcast. If you're listening, you're truly a blessing. And I did say on the podcast, but I'm incredibly honored and grateful to have you as a guest. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends of Organifi. Just before I come on this podcast, I go down uh, and smash a greens drink that just truly lights me up, gives me the energy to focus, to get through this podcast, to make sure that I have the energy, to make sure I have the nutrients my body needs to produce energy and thrive throughout the day. Helps to um, balance my body's acid load, which comes through a lot of protein, a lot of training that I'm, that I'm uh, obviously participating in. Um, so the greens and the reds are non-negotiables for me every day. What I usually do is I'll wake up every morning, I'll fill up my Ninja with uh, some filtered water, uh, always use the highest quality filtered water I can. I'll throw a scoop or two of greens, a scoop or two of reds, and I'll blend it up. Sometimes I'll throw some adaptogenic herbs in there, some additional ones. I'll throw some mushrooms in there. And I start my day that way, and I like to hydrate. I also use uh, a Quinton mineral, just a multi-mineral to help make, make sure my body has what it needs to start the day. And since doing this over the last couple of months, my energy to thrive and perform is so much more effective. My desire and need for coffee has come way, way down. I feel like I use a fraction of the coffee that I've ever used in my life. So I'll enjoy my coffee, but uh, I don't need it. So I don't ever feel like I need it. I feel like I've got more than enough energy to do all the things I need to do in a day. And I attribute a big fraction of that to just my ability to get those fruits and vegetables that I need in the morning. I feel like I'm hydrated. I feel like I'm energized to start my day. So head over to Organifi.com slash muscle, or when you go to Organifi.com, you can just use the code muscle for 20% off their entire suite of products. You look at greens, you look at reds. I highly suggest you try the gold if you haven't. They have an incredible protein product. They've got a product that I've been enjoying lately, actually in place of coffee, called Peak Power, designed by my friends over at my, uh, Mind Pump, the Mind Pump podcast. If you haven't checked out their podcast, they have an awesome podcast as well. But uh, without more uh, information for me, uh, without further ado, please enjoy the podcast with Allison Armstrong. And once you're done, listen all the way to the end and head over to muscleintelligence.com slash podcast check out the show notes for this podcast and so much more and enjoy the show with Alison Armstrong. So Allison, as I briefly doted on you as you caught onto the show, I'm an <laughs> enormous fan and I'm selling, sending you enormous hugs and every man in the world and woman in the world should be exposed to your wisdom, your information and your passion in life for understanding the dynamic between men and women. First, the dynamic of men independently, I think, and then the dynamic of women independently, and then how these two seemingly very, very different creatures can cohabitate and coexist. As I said before, right? <laughs> yeah. And as I said prior to hitting record here, I get to work with some really, really incredible human beings who do just wonderful things in the world. And almost, I would say almost without fail, but a very large percentage of, of men, uh, at least the ones I work with, wish that, or not wish, hope that their relationships get better and want to invest time, effort, and uh, resources into just like making that home life just awesome, just a place that brings love, fills your heart, so that we can go out and do better things in the world. Because when you come home as a man, and I'm sure as a woman, to not be able to take that armor off and have to still wear it in the house just takes away from your ability to show up effectively in the world. And I've never come across anyone who comes anywhere near the way you, to the level you do in explaining it. Uh, so I'm incredibly honored and, and thankful to have you here. On that note, we can still continue on this conversation of your <laughs> passion for driving and how you correlate that to male and female dynamics. I would love to understand that. 
Well, driving can be such a point of contention between mm-hmm. couples because of the difference in the vision created by testosterone and estrogen, where where it's been shown that not just men, males, starts young, can track a moving object so much better than a woman can. And the faster it's going, the better a man can track it. And I associate that with really millennia of surviving by hunting and gathering and how much risk there is in hunting, how much strength is required in hunting and and men being so much bigger and stronger than women. And it's one of the most important things that I've been teaching men is, is how much weaker we are. And you might have seen it. There's a sample on our website of a half an hour out of the Understanding Women course. And it starts with the fundamental difference in men and women in terms of our relationship to safety, where women are constantly scanning for and thinking about, even hallucinating and worrying about and doing things about physical safety. You know, even just like one man said, why does my wife take her keys out in the store? (laughs) Why doesn't she walk out to the car and then take the keys out? Which is what a man would typically do. Well, the last thing a woman wants to do is be caught at her car fumbling for keys and not be able to get inside to safety. And it's just something we do automatically. We don't even think about these things that we do. We just do them because of scanning for physical safety. And there's so many accommodations of this, right? (laughs) I love to move furniture, rearrange furniture. And I'd ask my husband to help me. You know, honey, will you help me move the couch? Sure. He loved helping me move furniture. But then he's standing there going, "Uh, can we do this now? Because I'm taking all the cushions off the couch and I'm clearing the path from where it is to where it needs to go. And he's like, can we just do this? I'm like, no, I have to make it as light as it can possibly be. (laughs) Why don't you just pick it up? (laughs) He didn't know how much harder it made it and that I I couldn't just pick it up. I I couldn't do my part if I didn't if if I didn't do that. And so we, you know, we do this thing where we ask a man to squeeze his own hand as hard as he can without breaking any bones, you know, make it hurt, but don't break anything. And then now hand your hand, give your hand to a woman and ask her to squeeze it as hard as she can. And literally you can see in that clip that we have on the homepage Men are like, okay, when are you going to start squeezing? (laughs) Hello. And she's given it all she's got. And, but I've also taken this, you know, to help people because like, for example, height, right? So women chemistry in, in women is caused by the perception of strength. So height is just like a, like a done deal strength. And I remember my older daughter, we were working together and she came in and it was like her eyes were rolling around in her head. I'm like, what happened to you? She just like, she was seven, two, seven, two. <laughs> She'd run into a, a basketball player in the hallway. <laughs> just like, ah. Uh. <laughs> and, and so shorter stature men will worry. Like, you know, so how am I going to, 
you know, cause that in a woman. And I've told them, well, just offer to arm wrestle them. But don't put them down. Just don't let them move your arm. And wait and just keep watching their eyes until it dawns on them that you can protect them. You are much stronger than she is. And that's all she needs. <laughs> she doesn't need the strongest. She just needs stronger. And anyhow, I pay attention to all these ordinary things. Ordinary, I don't think so. So one of the ways that I categorize the way you explain things in my mind, and I'm curious if, and, and I don't know if it makes sense to you, but it makes sense to me. Okay. Psychology is psychology is um, variable, person to person, the way we think about things. Um, everyone's psychology can be very, very unique to them, to the individual. But human biology is human biology. So when I was listening to you speak, it just seems like you have such a great understanding of human biology. What that means to me is how hormones influence us, how evolution influences us, how things like this, like you're saying, safety influences our decision making. And to me, for people to understand that dynamic framework and understand what really what lays at the foundation of human, or let's call it female and female dynamics, uh, just makes it so uh, empowering to to come in a relationship and go, oh, I see what's driving your your decisions because it's not always conscious, right? Most often, I think it's probably not. It's unconscious drivers of behavior, and so I'd love to have you, you know, just discuss with us our your your theories and your frameworks around. Um, what is truly driving? And we could start with male or female, whatever you think is more important. I think the audience will find um, both of those incredibly uh, insightful. Sure. Um, well, I would definitely start before male and female, and I would even start before human. Let me see if I can put it succinctly. So if you look at life on the planet from the from the point of view of survival, that everything is trying to survive. And it's not just the survival of this individual piece, it's the survival of of the genes, of the species, and of the, the, the individual genetic legacy. And, and if you look, this is what I would assert, there's a hierarchy of instincts. And the hierarchy is procreate, then protect, then provide. And meaning that, and if you look at it, you can see this in every species, in a bug, in a tree. Every species risks its life in order to procreate. That's why we have to teach safe sex, because procreate trumps protect. And and then protect trumps provide. And you mentioned you're in Toronto. Do you happen to coach hockey players by any chance? Some, yeah. Yep. Some okay. So hockey is something that I didn't enjoy because with a female's vision, I couldn't track the puck. <laughs> the puck was too fast for me to see. I could just find the ruckus. And then uh, my boyfriend's son uh, has played hockey since he was a little kid, just like my boyfriend. He started four years old, and and so I attended a lot of senior high school hockey games after I moved here. And I, because of how much I know about the brain and that it will rewire itself to do anything you're passionate about and determined to be able to do, I was determined to be able to see the puck. (laughs) I was determined to be able to learn to enjoy hockey, to understand hockey. And it was in phases, right, of first 
trying to see the puck and then trying to see what they were doing with the stick and then finding out the puck even spins. What? <laughs> it doesn't just slide, it'll spin around. No wonder crazy things happen. And then and then the night that I we stood on the side because my boyfriend's back hurt. So we stood in the behind um one of the, the the nets and all of a sudden I saw I saw the pool table. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a this is a pool type table. You just the angles. And Dan's like, yes, that's the sick they call that the sixth man. The boards are the sixth man. I'm like Oh my gosh, right? And then passing showed up and all these things. And then the athleticism. I'm like, why why do they change out every three minutes? I don't understand this. Do they do they need to work more on endurance? <laughs> and then standing at the end on the other side of the glass, and oh my gosh, they are giving it all. <laughs> Those three minutes, they are spending everything. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm the same way about most sports. I, I love athleticism. I love watching professional sports, college sports. I'm just, I'm in awe of the excellence of the mental game of the, the everything, right? So how come I brought this up is because if you think about protect Trump's provide, right? Protect Trump's provide. And if you look at that, um, like in team sports, there's, there's the the defense, right? The need for defense, for a good defense, um, will outweigh the need for a shooter, right? Like you've got to, you've got to, like it, it, what's going to have games go one way or another? You know that if you've got a good defense, it can shut down the offense. And and just watching that in athleticism, even protect Trump's provide. And so if you look at that as species level. And then if you look at it, then at the human level, all the ways that procreate shows up, that it's not just sex and children, it's entrepreneurship, right? Entrepreneurship and artistry is is a kind of procreate. And, you know, I was teasing, I was teasing my boyfriend the other day that, that women think they, you know, entrepreneurship seems like such a strength and so they're attracted to it. I want to marry an entrepreneur. They don't know they're also signing up for <laughs> validated gambling. Right? That entrepreneurs risk the mortgage, right? Risk everything for the next thing that they have to create. And if we don't understand this, right, which most people don't, like everybody wants their counterpart to be in a giving mode, in a giving mood to provide and provide and provide, Do you know, to give me more and you, and I give you more. And we want to really, you know, in an ideal world would be, we just be overflowing towards each other. But women and men don't know when they've done something because it's so different what we're sensitive to. They don't know when they, like Amanda's, most men don't know when you raise your voice to a, a woman in ancient instincts, what happens after you raise your voice is you raise your hand. It's so frightening to us. To, to men among men, it's nothing. A raised voice is, it's nothing, <laughs> right? And But to a woman, it will take us from being this happy, radiant, overflowing, 
towards you know our beloved human being and and he's getting filled up with this energy and this bounce and this sense that all's well in the world and it's all going to turn out in a moment she can turn and attack him like say something crushing that she doesn't even know is crushing and and now he's not only retreated from provide right so she retreated from provide to protect herself said something that attacked him so now he's retreating from from provide into protect and the worst of all protect himself from her and now you have <laughs> now you have two people completely acting out of fear with an adversary where moments before they were on the same team and wanting to give as much to each other as they could and it's all instinct it's all instinct it's all the perception of threats and opportunities and and fight flight and freeze and whatever are there's sequences that vary amongst individuals but it's all of that before we even get to men and women and how for example one of the first things that men do with anything is they try to force it and that makes sense because of how strong you are right like <laughs> just push harder but it kind of drives women crazy because you break things <laughs> my husband smashed my rolling the suitcase he smashed it and i'm like why do you take care of your stuff better than mine that was my female assessment right you have so much more respect for your stuff than my stuff and he looked at me like i was crazy because that wasn't the reason he did what he did at all dragging it down these stairs bam 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 <laughs> it's like i just expected it to be stronger <laughs> so funny um, I just got a vision of, of bam bam clinton in my head just like we just like to break stuff you know that's that's the male brain yeah what well why not why not i i couldn't break stuff till i got a tractor one of the most empowering things i did in my entire life get a tractor but when i told my husband i mean i want to get a tractor i expected to be like oh what kind of tractor what for he freaked out he freaked out and he said this terrible thing to see he's like what do you want to do that for use it for a couple months and then i'll have to keep it in the garage <laughs> i mean it was a he'd never said anything like that to me right this was like 24 years into marriage and and i i thought you mean like the old convertibles that we heat the garage for and you never drive them <laughs> and i'm thinking that right i've got a brutal comeback and I'm gripping my my knees, and I just looked at him. I said, "I am consciously not attacking you right now." <laughs> I mean, it took everything to not come back at that, but I was furious until I found out after the worst night of my life, <laughs> hating him. That what had happened in that moment when I said I want a tractor is he pictured me on a tractor on our property in our, I don't know what you call our front or backyard. We lived in a Y. And he pictured me driving it off the cliff. 
and dying. And that's what he was attacking. <laughs> so he was, he totally was in protect and keep me from killing myself. And, and then I get this like, ah, oh, but then he was retired. I was supporting the whole family. It's my money anyway. Like, <laughs> giving you every car you ever wanted. <laughs> and now you're going to do this. And then I find out he just pictured I was going to die. And when I told the truth, I could get that focus that I could drive a tractor off the cliff. He was right. And so when I got my tractor, the first thing I did was moved 800 pound bales of hay on the end. They became the hay fence. <laughs> it was the hay wall, just so I at least would have some warning <laughs> of, a, of a big amount of resistance before I backed my tractor off the cliff. <laughs> that's, that's, I love the fact that you guys were able to go through that conversation to determine that he was in protect because I could totally see that. It's like, yeah, I mean, in, in, with the females in my life, some of my natural instincts are like, no, you can't do that. And it's not, it's not because I'm like trying to, to, you know, put a, put a box around your wall around him. Like, no, no, I could see that going really sour. Like, how can I support you on that? Like, that would be my, my response. Yeah. I'll get that. That's deep level insight in the moment. Kudos to you. Well, it, it, it took a long time and him sleeping alone <laughs> and and then he finally came and told the truth about what happened and um it was actually amazing because i was still furious and i attacked him i had come to the conclusion that i had spoiled him i had just spoiled him rotten it was all my fault because anything he dreamt of i figured out how to get it it's how i'm wired and and when he finally confessed to what had happened, it just right. And and by then, I I had attacked him. I had said something awful, and I apologized. I said, "This is the first time ever that we've been together that I said something on purpose to hurt you, and I'm so sorry." And he said, "I know." <laughs> like, you knew I was saying that to hurt you? Yes. Did I hurt you? No. And he didn't even hold it against me. Right. I mean, he is amazing himself. Right. But I guess if you have a over, you know, two and a half decades of history of not attacking, then you'd be figuring out there's a good reason. And, um, but yeah, I got my tractor and I learned how to use it. And I got tired of precision work and moving dirt. And I just wanted to destroy something. And there was this tree, this dead tree. I'm like, let's see what we can do about that. <laughs> It was awesome. <laughs> I crushed it and dragged it away. Did you have a video? I want to see it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. One of, the, one of the questions that it seems like it would be a good segue from here that I'd love to ask you is when you started into this relationship uh, with your with your husband, I can I can I can assume that both of you came into the relationship with some semblance of you know, quote unquote, baggage, trauma, difficult times that you were carrying with you, difficult perceptions that that clouded your ability to communicate, your ability, you, you were deflecting your previous experiences onto this new person. And so I'm curious if you have any guidance for people who, who bring their stuff to relationships 
on how to work through that and how to not live from your trauma. I always call it living hard, not from your trauma. And I'm curious if you have any um, guidance on, on ultimately how you got to that point, because I can't imagine you started there. You just asked a huge question. And I finished the other thing really fast. I promise you. Fast. I thought you were finished. Sorry. I apologize. It, no, it's okay. I went off track. So if you think of like survival instincts planet-wide and then the human expression of those, which I would assert that we're both predators and prey. So, and we're hack and herd, right? So, so we survive in conjunction with others. We're, that's why the lone wolf is a saying or he, that person's a loner, right? Because that's unusual because we're pack and herd animals. And, and then if you take it up another level where we're hunting, right? The predators are hunting and the prey are gathering. <laughs> and that that is partly dictated by hormones but it's also mindset and we can affect each other so if we're hunting i would call it committed state of mind so it's commitment it's focus there's a specific result or destination outcome that is what everything's about everything's organized for that and the brain naturally screens out everything that's irrelevant to whatever that focus is. And this is one of the things that causes a lot of trouble between men and women because women can tell when your focus is elsewhere and because estrogen causes us to scan. And one of the things we're scanning for is connection. So we we can walk through a room and and feel and detect the mental and emotional and even levels of energy of anybody in the room, including animals. We can feel it and we're scanning for well-being all the time. It's a natural lead mare, herd animal kind of thing to do is scanning for well-being. And so we, part of that feeling connected, a big part is it makes us feel safe. We're connected. So when our man, our protector is focused on something else, it's frightening to us because we don't know, we don't understand that he's wired to protect us, that he it doesn't matter what he's focused on. If we cry help and mean it, and we've even seen examples of this, <laughs> a Home Depot, a, a female cashier saying over the, <laughs> over the, the loudspeaker, help in aisle 11. And my my nephew grabbed a broom. Somebody else grabbed an axe. So like everybody with just a complete instinct, just grabbing a weapon and running to aisle eleven. All she needed was a mop. <laughs> but they that tone of voice, that cry of help, we don't understand that it, it interrupts single focus. That it penetrates like nothing else does. And most men, what they'll talk about that they'll say is it's it's within reach. I will protect anyone within reach. I don't have to know them. I don't have to like them. I don't have to have warm feelings for them at the time. I could even be pissed at them. It's who I am. It's not about them. It's who I am. And women don't know that. If we knew that, 
I mean, when I found it out, it changed my whole life. And speaking of trauma, I have a, a student who was had terrible experiences as a, as a teenager. You wouldn't even want to hear about it. And then she ended up becoming a parole officer. And after she studied with me and especially did our course called Understanding Sex and Intimacy, she sent me a letter and she said, I want you to know because of your course for the first time in my life, I feel safe because of who men are. Hmm. Not in spite of who men are, because of who men are. And it completely changed you know, her managing <laughs> um, criminals, right? In in their parole, it completely changed the way she did what she did and, and how she felt about it. And that reverse happens of this single focus where a woman, you know, a woman will feel like he's not going to protect me. So she'll interrupt him <laughs> in order to make a connection, in order to feel safe. And one of the biggest things that um, Greg taught me was how single focus isn't just a state of concentration and determination. Single focus can also be a state of peace. That when you're free to do what you've been committed yourself to doing and you have what you need to do it, it's peaceful in that state of pursuit and can even be joyful. And and then if you're brought up short because you don't have what you need, do you know, <laughs> I don't have the right tool, I don't have the right size implement, I don't have the battery charge, and I don't that the frustration that comes up, right? Because that whole thing got interrupted. And so a woman will interrupt a man when he's focused just in order to connect, to feel safe, not knowing did that she just did lessened his ability to produce the result, but she also interrupted his peace. And so she doesn't understand why he goes, what? <laughs> right? And now she's 10 times more disconnected than she was before she was trying to fix the disconnect. And and just teaching women the state of mind of single focus, which has so much to do with testosterone levels. And as you guys get older, your testosterone levels naturally lessen your brain rewires, you actually, the verbal centers of your brain get connected to all the other places that it, they weren't connected to before. You have access to your wisdom all of a sudden, this lifetime of wisdom, now you can articulate it and you're compelled to, you give people advice because now you can. <laughs> Not everybody takes it very well. Um, and that all that going on, right? And and so when women learn about that and say, you know, well, then how will I ever, he's always focused. How will I ever get what I need? Like, it's okay to interrupt. Just own that you're interrupting. Act like what he's doing is worth doing instead of what you're doing is stupid. So I'm going to just start talking to you about this, which is a lot of how women relate to the ways that men relax and wind down and and distract themselves. They think that what you're doing is stupid. So I'm just going to sit down and start talking to you because I have something important to say. Yeah. I've heard you talk about that a number of occasions, I think, where, you know, men, that's when we're rebuilding our testosterone when we're doing those sort of mindless activities like sitting on our butt, not doing anything. So <laughs> women say, why, why does he sit on his butt? He doesn't want to help me. 
he's actually rebuilding his establishment. I'd love to have you talk about that because that was a great insight that everyone needs to hear. Yeah. Um, thanks for bringing it up. It's one of my favorite topics and teaching men to never tell a woman you're doing nothing. <laughs> and building my testosterone. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, I'm building testosterone. But you probably heard me talk about this word I made up, testosterometer. And um, oh, yeah, I think women have testosterometers. And it's like a, like we, I, I think it's pheromones and we can smell how much juice this man has. For most women, with most women's perception and most women's experience, there's such a thing as too much juice and they're terrified of testosterone. They don't want men to be powerful because they think men abuse power. They don't know how much you're paying attention to using it for us. We don't notice that part. I think really what we're smelling for is Izzy handy. <laughs> so we can tell when you're wiped out and we won't ask you for something. But when you like started to get some traction with the building of testosterone, we smell handiness, but it's not too much to be a threat, right? When, when you guys are what we would call full of yourself, we'll emasculate you. We will we'll attack just to bleed off some of that sense of power, which is frightening to us. And, and sadly, happiness and power arrive together. So when men are happy is when women are most likely to attack you. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's when we're most likely. It's scary. When you guys are pumped and even paying attention to wearing your bodies, like men and women don't feel things in the same place. And I asked men, okay, so where do you feel happiness? And they're, this is so cute. They're just like. Right. Broad eyebrow. Yeah, men don't pay much attention to them being happy. They pay attention to women being happy. And but but then I proposed what I'd observed, which is that it happens here. That when a man feels happy, he, he my students actually tell me this like he puffed up. Right. So when men feel happy, you, you there's this puffing up that happens. It happens in your chest and your shoulders and your in your neck, right? And then if you have a big happy, that energy overflows and it goes down your arms and out your hands. And it's the source of the high five, the slapping the rib, the <laughs> like the, you know, Rocky, like all this energy is going to come out the hand, spiking the ball. Thank goodness they stopped making that a penalty. <laughs> Spike the ball in the end zone. I was so mad when they started doing that in college football. Boom! Yeah, no, that's joy. That's pure joy. Let him have it. And of course, anger. Anger travels the same path, right? And again, shocking for women um, that when a man is angry, right? It's gonna. It comes out his hands, and they think like him throwing the wrench or you know, the bat or whatever he's got in his hand, that that's just a sign of immaturity instead of, no, honey, he's disarming himself. <laughs> Even in that state, he's protecting you from him. And like I write about in the Queen's Code, right? My boss even hit a wall. <laughs> yeah. Instead of your place. <laughs> what? 
So the thing that they consider the height of immaturity, oh, that's them being amazing. And I used to, my first marriage, I stomped up and down on my husband's buttons. And you were talking about the past and trauma and where did we start. Greg and I met each other in the world of transformation. Um, we'd both been, he'd been there for 15 years. I'd been there for 10 years when we met each other. We already had tools. And then I'd been studying men for about six months when I met him. And I had just laid down my sword. I had just made the commitment to not emasculate men and was stunned to find out who men are when I wasn't attacking them. Like, it still blows my mind. <laughs> and, and go ahead. Yeah, well, you're hitting the you're hitting the nail on the head with some of these things, and I can I can reflect and watch myself going through these exact scenarios. I'm like, you're exactly right. And I'm so curious how you came to all these conclusions. Is it studying? Is it talking with Greg? Is you know what combination of things led led you down this path? Just like <laughs> intuitive insight, you know, psychedelics, all of the above. <laughs> Um, have you listened to or read The Queen's Code? No. I okay. think I need to, though. I, I figured that was just mostly geared at women. I try to read all the stuff that's geared at men, but I'll read that one, too. Well, and I encourage you to listen to it instead of read it, okay. because um, we published it in 2012, and then I published the audiobook last summer, and I wouldn't let anybody else read it, um, you know, do the audiobook, same with Keys of the Kingdom, because sentiment and energy and inflection is so important and and i i didn't write those two books so <laughs> having said that i'll go back to the beginning um in the first chapter of the queen's code which is fiction because i think people learn better through fiction when they're not in the hot seat we don't like self-help so much you 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 in the first chapter the main character goes to a seminar and her her best friend who's having a miserable marriage said something really outlandish to the the trainer she she said why are men wonderful in the beginning and and then turn into sports watching pizza eating bear belching couch slugs now this happened to me <laughs> i was 30 years old February of 1991, I went to a transformation workshop with a colleague and she stood up and I mean, it was, it was such an attack, right? And, and I expected the man who was leading the seminar to get defensive, but he didn't. He looked like he dug it. <laughs> and I'm watching him very closely and and he came up and he purposely scanned her, like in the most outrageous check out her body, which the way she presented herself, that actually was an appropriate response. And she used everything about her physicality to throw men off balance. And he walked up to her and he scanned her and then he looked at her and he said, oh, I see, you're a frog farmer. <laughs> a what? <laughs> A frog farmer. And she wouldn't ask. And finally, okay, what's a frog farmer? And he, and he said, <laughs> some women turn frogs into princes. You, my dear, turn princes into frogs. That happened to me. 
and I'm watching this, and I had this vision of this big white farmhouse, and I'm standing on the front porch, and there's hundreds and hundreds of frogs with little human heads, and there's my ex-husband and all my two-week ex-boyfriends. And I thought I was really good at revealing the con before falling for it. I didn't know I was doing the equivalent of kicking a dog and be surprised when it ran away or when it bit or when it bit and ran away. But I was doing that and I got it intuitively when he said that I got it. Oh my gosh. I'm a frog farmer. I'm a really successful farmer. I am bringing out the worst in men. But I, how am I doing that? I'm so normal. How am I doing that? And then this question popped into my head. And I I don't think it's psychedelic, but I do think it's higher consciousness because it's been happening for as long as I can remember. And these questions will pop into my head. And they are questions that I run with. And that the first question was, what if men are responding to women? which explained why I could think a man was a total jerk, but his wife was in love with him. <laughs> like she was talking, it's like she talked about a different person. So it's like, wait a second. So a man treating one woman like a queen and another like a barmaid, and the other's always just going to be a friend, that has something to do with her, not him. And so I had that question, what if men are responding to women? And I had three men in my life who paid me basically to listen to them <laughs> and ask. They were entrepreneurs and I would ask them questions and they get to express themselves and they come up with new strategies. And so I started with those three men and started watching when they did something that surprised me and try to figure out why they did it. And then I did something really smart, which I recommend all women do. I asked them if they did the thing that they did for the reason that I thought. And I'm bright. <laughs> and I thought I was bright. And I'd been told I was bright since I was a little girl. So I expected to be right. In the beginning, I was always wrong. And really wrong. Like, one man was disgusted. It's like, I would never do anything for that reason. And no self-respecting man would. I had suggested he'd done something he didn't want to do in order to not upset his mother. He was grossed out by that. <laughs> I'm like, well, then why did you do it? We had a whole conversation about you didn't want to spend the weekend helping your mom, but then you spent the weekend helping your mom. He goes, yeah, because I'm her son. It doesn't matter whether I wanted to or not. I'm her son. It's my duty. <laughs> what? I mean, at that time, February of 1991, I, I thought men didn't, I questioned whether they had souls. I knew they didn't have any feelings, so you couldn't hurt them. I thought they were shallow. Everybody knows women are shallow. I didn't know it's because we interrupt, so we never get to the bottom of the well, but you're the opposite of shallow. I I didn't know you... I thought you were selfish. I didn't know you did things for other people because to you it's the right thing to do. It's your own standard. It's your duty, and there's even freedom in duty. What's my duty? I just do it. Like you don't have a whole narrative about it. it there's, there's even peace in duty. So so that's where it started with these three men. And I would ask questions. And then I started looking for other things about men in 
movies written by men. I got to where I could always tell when a movie was written by a woman. A man would never say that. Then <laughs> I'd wait to get to the credits and find out. Oh yeah, and and sports. You know, watching in all kinds of sports, what's going on, and so a lot of observation and then verifying. Do you know asking? Asking a man, if you could be anything for a woman, what would you be? And I started it saying, if you could be anything for a woman you love, what would it be? And by then I'd learned to be quiet and wait. And he said, if I could be anything for a woman I love, I'd be her hero. I nearly fell off my chair. Thank goodness we were on the phone. Because I had been thinking the problem was women wanted to be here. Women were looking for heroes and probably men didn't want to be them. That was what I concluded. And then I asked him and he uses the word I was already thinking of. Wait a second. And so I was like, I said, really? And he was quiet and I thought he was going to change his answer. No, he expanded it. He said, well, actually for all the women I know, if I could be anything for them, I'd be their hero. Really? <laughs> My voice got higher and higher. Silence. And then I could hear it in his voice. There's this little, like, there's a little abashed. And he said, well, to tell you the truth, if I could be the hero of every woman I encountered every day, that would be Nirvana. What? What? You know, and then years later, my son did one of my courses. It's called Being Extraordinary as a Man. And I was talking to him about how he's affected. And I asked him, how are you affected by a woman's smile? And and he just, he said, a real smile will change my whole day. For the whole day. <laughs> what? You know, and so, so that's how I've done it. And when I, when I started, I honestly, I thought so poorly of men. I thought it would take two or three months to learn everything that was worth knowing about you. And... People, I get acknowledged a lot for my commitment to studying men, but I never made a commitment. I've just been fascinated for 32 years. And I'm still learning about you guys. I'm still in awe. And and then I thought, you know, because I was normal, I thought men would talk about sports and work. When I started listening to men, they wanted to talk to me about women and relationships and love. And I found out that men who talk about sports and work casually, it's where they're not invested. Men who really care about sports only talk about sports so people understand <laughs> how important it is. They're not going to chit-chat about sports. And that's when I got to discover how natural it is for men to conceal what's important to them. And something my stepfather said. My stepfather was a, a coach, by the way, professional LPG, LPGA, the, the women's golf. Yeah. And they had the same thing that you said about the men. He he knew how their day was going to go by the state of their relationship. And if it was all good with their mate, they were going to play well. And if they're cattywampus, I could go on and on. I'm, I just, I, I can't not try to figure out why people do what they do. But I learned early on that it, thinking it's personal would end up with the least result. And I, I call it false cause. I interact with people all the time. My husband does this because. My wife does this because. 
You know, he's a firstborn. She's a Libra. She was, you know, traumatized as a child. She was, you know, abandoned. You know, women think like their fear of abandonment comes from having been abandoned. No, we're born with the fear of abandonment. It's, we're all born that way. We can't survive without other people. So just paying attention to, okay, we start with instincts and then we've got the human expression and the predator and prey expression. And then we've got, are you in a committed state of mind or an open state of mind? Because in a committed state of mind, you're safe and secure when you're productive. In an open state of mind, you feel safe when you're connected. Which something I just put together maybe two months ago, Ben, was I've only ever heard men talk about, use the word safe. It's not safe in regards to communication and telling the truth and opening up to somebody. In other contexts, they use the word secure. I feel, I feel secure when my finances is like this. I feel secure when my job is like this. I feel secure when my boss is interacting with me like this. That was 32 years in that I noticed that. <laughs> wow, they only ever say safe. She's not safe to talk to. Or they'd say to me, you're so safe to talk to. So that's how I've done it organically. I read a few books about men, by men. Not very many. I just like to watch and try to figure it out and then verify and clarify. And, yeah. and Greg was my main guinea pig for almost 30 years and then after he died and I realized I really did want to be in a relationship again that took a while that I had to relearn all my stuff because I was in a very different place I was a really vulnerable place wanting to be in a relationship after having been in one for almost 30 years oh I had to relearn everything mm -hmm. which is really good for my students it's fascinating. So the thing that comes to mind, similar to the question I asked earlier, is the reliability of a man's response has to be variable based on, you know, I have this thought and theory that most people don't know why they act. They don't know why they, or the responses are not necessarily accurate. You know, they're sometimes reacting based on circumstance, sometimes based on like first thing that comes to mind, what they think may not be reality. And so it comes back to what I asked earlier about how do we support someone? Is this a good time to transition into that? Because like, as you're going through all these points, I was like, okay, a woman, you know, a man is so touched and embraced by an, uh, an authentic smile, yet and so many women don't provide an authentic smile, right? At least in current society, it seems like there's a lot of divergence away from it. There's certainly a lot of convergence toward it, but sometimes there's a lot of divergence away from the authentic expression of self, the authentic expression of love. And humans seem to just crave it at our true essence. I'd love to just have a conversation for a listener to go, how do I start returning to that and still edible living from this this hard armor that I've accumulated, a hard wall that I've built throughout the years? Oh, wow. Um, how long you got, right? Well, it, it it's just every question you ask is so big. And I, I was 19 years old when I first started participating in what they call transformation. And um, 
And when I started developing programs on my own, which I could not, um, it just led me to the conclusion that nothing has to be permanent, that we believe in the permanence of trauma. We believe in the permanence of damage. But what if you can't actually damage who a human being really is? So if you think of us um, as having two nervous systems, which we do, sympathetic and parasympathetic, and that we actually can consciously shift from one to the other, and we often accidentally do things that will cause another person to shift into instinct. Um, and if we can learn how we're doing that, we can not do it, right? Like when I told Greg, I'm not attacking you, or Greg and I had an agreement that if I hung up on him, it was to protect him from me saying something I didn't want to say to him. Don't call me. <laughs> and um, it, we can start to make choices. If we, if we become aware of this, it, you could think of it as impulse. You could think of it as compulsion. It's tension. And it has to do with that the limbic, limbic centers of the brain are always at least a split second in front of the prefrontal cortex, the executive decision-making. So the first thing is going to be an impulse, is going to be a reaction to the perception of a threat or opportunity. And I've spent time actually noticing, walking through an airport with a bag full of food and water, enough to last me for three plane rides, and every restaurant and store, the impulse is to get something. <laughs> I, could, I, I felt my body being forced towards each one of these stores, and I have to talk to myself, out of, no, I have plenty of food and water. And and so that's what happens. We have this impulse, and mostly we don't know that it's not who we really are. It's primal. And, and that if we can catch it, if we can feel it, if we can tell our brain to memorize that feeling, memorize the tension, and have an alarm go off because I'm about to do something that's probably going to make it worse. Because almost every human instinct makes things worse, like the instinct to interrupt a man, to reconnect, to feel safe, right? And and his instinct to feel secure is get busy producing results, which has her feel ignored, right? So we we have these um, opposite instincts, and we antagonize each other. We naturally antagonize each other by the way that we're put together um, at the most primitive level. But if you get into higher consciousness into what I like to call human spirit, the domain of choice, the domain of, of overruling those primitive instincts, um, and the more aware we become of them, and especially with the sense of humor, it's, <laughs> sense of humor can save your life. And um, sense of humor is human spirit and and other choices that men and women have to make. I, what I call it is enough, that the first choice is enough. I'm safe enough. I have enough. I am enough. He loves me enough. <laughs> she cares about me enough. Um, 
if we start there, right? And then other concepts have, I mean, you can rewrite your childhood if you just start with the question, what if no one was misbehaving? What is What if everyone was doing the best they could with what they had, with what they knew, with what they perceived, with what they valued? Everyone was doing the best they could. And it was a personal. I was raised by children. <laughs> My parents were 19 and 23 years old with three children. What did I do as a small child? I went to parties. <laughs> I went to parties and found a place to sleep until my parents drove me home. Did they do that because they didn't love me? No. <laughs> they were doing the best that they could see to do with what they had. They just included these three little people in all of their lives, and a whole bunch of benefit came from it. Um, so what if? What if? What if no one's misbehaving, including you? What if you have a good reason for what you do? And one of the things that I have discovered to ease the way between all people, but especially between men and women, is I would call it, <laughs> I try to distill things, but just the term seems like, right? So instead of deciding why somebody did something and attacking them for it or trying to get them to change. What if we come up with something, because we can't help but do that. Humans draw conclusions so we can make strategies. What if then you approach the other person with, it seems like, it seems like you haven't been doing what you said you would do because of this. Am I close? And that's rather than attacking. Yeah. So that seems like is the willingness to be wrong, right? And even coming to, I know you have a good reason for everything you do. And it seems like you didn't do that because you don't respect me enough to do that. And I've, I've had men in saying, you know, assume you have a good reason for everything you do. And I've had men say, nah, I was just being an ass. <laughs> but he could say that because I wasn't saying he was fans, right? He could say that because there was no attack. And, um, oh my gosh, talk about falling in love. The humility of men takes my breath away. And even the things what you hold yourself accountable for, women try to hold you to account for acting like women, and you won't be held to account for that. So we think you won't be held to account for anything, but the standards you have for protecting and providing for the people, off the charts, stunning to me. Um, and if women can know this, right, and that, you know, well, he doesn't love me because he doesn't do this. Honey, does he come home every night? Yes. They call that voting with their feet. <laughs> I'm sure our time. <laughs> or, you know, a man raises his voice and a woman's scared that she's going to get hit. And you, you tell a man that and you see them cry. But I've never hit you. In 30 years, I've never hit you. Why would I do that now? How can you? 
even think that I could do that. It's not a conscious thought, it's instinct. So seems like works really well. Another human thing we do, I call it decide and provide. So we decide why somebody did something and now we're going to fix it. Or we decide that somebody needs something and we make a plan to provide it and we plan it, we provide it for them and we expect them to appreciate it. But we didn't interrupt decide and provide. Men and women do this and we especially do it to young people. We decide and provide for children all the time, which gives them just a sense of powerlessness and I'm I'm not seen and nobody actually cares, right? Um, advice is a decide and provide, right? Um, instead, if you can interrupt between decide and provide, which is instinctual, and do something human beings don't do. <laughs> do ask and do tell. <laughs> Clarify and verify. So it seems like you need some time alone. Is that true? <laughs> because when a woman is upset, a man thinks she needs what he needs. When a man's upset, he wants to be alone and settle himself down and re-engage when he has better capacities. And he's, it's a kindness. So when a woman's upset, a man will leave her alone. No, you've just left us alone with our worst enemy. <laughs> Please come save me from the voice in my head, the rage monster. So, and when a man's upset, a woman will try to console him, right? Not knowing that the epinephrine, that the anger and frustration has set off in his body makes touching him feel like a like a blazing hot iron, like you're branding him. And he goes, ah. <laughs> so, so decide and provide. It seems like you want to be alone. Or, or Dan is my boyfriend's awesome at this. So when I'm upset, he'll come to me. We have an agreement. Unless I shut the door. If I shut the door, I'm protecting you from me. Otherwise, save me. <laughs> and he'll show up and go, you want to hug it out? <laughs> I'm not ready for a hug. Would you like to talk? <laughs> I have a question. <laughs> Did you do that for that reason? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay. Give me a second for my nervous system to reset. So why did you do it? <laughs> but it, we have to learn to give each other time to shift, right? You use the word transition. We literally have to transition from one nervous system to another. We're, we're that many different people. So that, and then the trauma thing, um, I'm a huge believer in healing and release and restoration. Um, we, one of our online courses is called, it's called Extreme Freedom. And it's a compilation of decades of work that I've done in, in what restores people physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, their heart, what, what heals their heart, um, what heals their sense of self. Um, I learned all about that from men. Um, your relationship to shame and what happens. Um, Greg actually said it to me. He said when when a man is ashamed, he's disconnected from his own spirit. Oh my God. <laughs> no wonder they're so discombobulated. We, we got to get on that. So with a couple of other men, um, 
who both participated in the Mankind Project, we just invented this very brief process called noble forgiveness. And it's just the chance to be listened to as an honorable person owning a failure and and being listened to as the even the idea that you failed at that is part of your honor. That only honorable people feel shame. Dishonorable people do crappy things and feel no shame for it. <laughs> so when people tell me what they're ashamed of, I'm moved to tears. I'm, I hear what they're committed to. I hear what matters to him, I, to to him or her. I hear how high their standards are, and and to be listened to that way that you feel ashamed because of who you really are, not because of your failure. And thank you for owning that. And do you forgive yourself? And. And when we forgive ourselves, we're literally reunited with our own spirit. And in the course called Being Extraordinary as a Man, I, I'm, I'm a kind of ruthless, Ben. Um, <laughs> no, my daughter says I'm the most ruthless person that she knows. So when men are ashamed, they think they don't deserve to be restored that they don't deserve to be loved, they don't deserve to be nurtured, they don't deserve to be given to. So they won't lend anybody. And including they don't deserve to be healed, that that their punishment for their failure is to have this horrible feeling the rest of their lives and try to make up for it. And in being extraordinary as a man, I... <laughs> it's, a, it's a good way of using you against you. <laughs> <laughs> I I very logically show men how wherever they've experienced the kind of failure that causes shame, they've removed themselves from that part of life in order to protect themselves from ever failing that badly again. And so they won't go back in, go back into the game. And that they're missing. They're missing in that game. They're missing in their family. They're missing with their children. They're missing in their business, and that it would take courage for them to forgive themselves and head back in and risk a failure like that again, that it would take courage. Y'all are so courageous. I mean, it's just stunning to watch, to challenge men to be courageous by allowing themselves to be healed from their biggest failures. And there's an exercise, and we used to do this course live I, I called it the I called it the tree exercise because the men would just pair up and it was speed forgiveness. They'd already done some group work that was more involved and there's speed forgiveness and they just walk up to another man and say, I forgive myself for such and such and I commit to. And the other man would say, Thank you. I've forgiven myself for this and I commit to. And then they inevitably they'd shake hands or embrace after that moment. Just the joy of this man reclaiming himself. And then they go to another man and another man, another man. And I'm sitting at the front of the room and I'm watching them get taller and taller and taller as they're reclaiming themselves. And before that, they, I don't know if you're familiar with the term crestfallen, right? Mm -hmm. So crestfallen, this place where men experience happiness, this place where you experience power, when you have been diminished, when you've been emasculated by yourself or others, 
it looks like someone ran over your 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 clavicle and your sternum and your chest bone and you just cave in. You literally the crest you're caved in and too many men run around caved in and oh, it's a thing of beauty watching men restore themselves it's just stunning and the other thing that you said and i'm looking at the clock <laughs> it's a good thing my other call canceled the other thing that you said about there not being authentic smiles from women um it's one of the things that I have to work with women on because they assume if they smile at a man, he's going to take it as an invitation and he's going to step into the invitation that he thinks it is. And that's frightening to her. And, and part of what's frightening is because it's part instinct and part been drilled into us. Um, She's she had it coming. She asked for it. So we make sure we provide no warmth, no encouragement, so that we won't get something unwelcome and then be accused that we asked for it. And we're afraid we did. We're afraid that if a man's attracted to us, that we're responsible for that attraction and we owe him something. Instead of no. <laughs> Be wise not to do the things that drive men nuts in a most primitive way. But even if you happen to, or if you smile at him and he misinterprets it, it's called boundaries. <laughs> Excuse me, stop there. <laughs> you misinterpreted my son. There's definitely bad people out there who have probably hurt a lot of women and caused women to react that way. So you get it. And, and maybe the numbers are, again, who knows? Um, I think it, there's a lot of societal issues it's there. It's skewed. I, I think it's equal. About 5% of men and 5% of women are bad. Mm. Like, you could say evil or corrupted yeah. by evil. Um, they And I did a, there's a recording, a free recording on our website. One's called Unhealthy Men, The Secrets of Early Detection. It also applies to unhealthy women. Both unhealthy men and unhealthy women have a perverse relationship to innocence. Um, they want to corrupt it or destroy it. Mm. That's evil. <laughs> um, there's another one on there called When is Narcissism Real? Because that's the word that has been thrown around now for about five years. And... And it's a label that has people feel better, but it doesn't make them any more effective. So I distinguish what's more important to pay attention to than whether that label fits. Um, but yeah, the the difficult thing about truly bad people is they're prolific. They 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 cause a lot of damage, and it can create the illusion that a lot of people are bad. No, one bad person can do injury to 50 or 100 people in a year. Right. Um, so women will think there's 50 or 100 bad people <laughs> instead of just one man or woman who's doing a lot of damage. And there's a, a man who actually contributed this to us. He said, he said it's, it's hard to tell the difference between a sheepdog and a wolf 
if all you're looking for is teeth. And when I heard that, it like had all these things click in my brain of, wait a second. So the sheepdogs around us will tell us another man's a wolf. He's no good. Keep him away from you. He's not a good man. And we'll argue with our sheepdogs <laughs> instead of employing them. Okay, Joe, so I met this man and um, I think he's really neat. And uh, I want you to check him out. <laughs> yeah, this actually happened with my boyfriend. Um, with the first full day that we knew each other, um, I brought him to my horsemanship lesson where my a man that I refer to as my bro, um, Joe, um, we pulled up and, and you know, pulled up with my horse. I walked my horse down there. Joe, this is Dan. Dan, this is Joe. And like you guys are, you instantly can assess. Inst mm. It's so fast. It's instantly. And I didn't realize until a lot time later that Joe made his instant assessment of Dan and teased him which is, that's a sign of approval from Joe. He teased him. He's like, watch out for her. She's a handful. And just great. He was teasing both of us. That was Joe's sign of approval. And, and we need to do that. I want you to, I met someone, I think they might be somebody in my life. Would you come meet them and tell me? We had a training program for years and with lots of people showing up out of nowhere. And, and I, employed is part of our team. Well, that guy over there, is he a wolf or a sheepdog that's peeing on the carpet? <laughs> he's, he's just a, he's just a peer. <laughs> oh, okay. We can work with this. But then, but then we'd also have, that man's got to go. He's up to no good and he's got to go. We actually had a group of men exit a man from the program. <laughs> he showed up to come in the room and they were standing there. No, you don't get to be here. <laughs> it's like, oh, thank God for sheepdogs. Uh, thank goodness. Yeah, for sure. So one thing that you um, mentioned, and it was just such a powerful framework for me, I'd love for you to, to share it, is the hunter and the gatherer framework. And um, I think understanding that is, I mean, for me, I'm kind of passing things through that lens now. It's been incredibly powerful. I'd love to have to share that. Um, yeah, I think we do we do the best job in this in our Understanding Women online course. Um, the original Understanding Women that is at Audible, I was at that point just putting together women as gatherers because I'd found out from my graduates with at that time were all women that the men at home were bringing out the worst in them because they didn't understand the way that women thought. And that was about, geez, like 15 years into studying men that I could now translate. And, but I'd only paid attention to the gathering part. And then women would say, I'm not that way all that, all the time. I, I hunt more than I gather. And so I had me start paying attention to that in myself and in other women. And so in 2013 is when we created the new Understanding Women course, where what we're doing is, contrasting hunting and gathering and it's actually an awesome way to learn about both men and women because we're very much like a man when we're in hunting mode 
And men are much more like a woman when they're in gathering mode, which is hard for us to see, um, especially in younger men, like I would say less than 55, get, you're in an open, uncommitted state of mind when you're at play. And, and so when you're at play, meaning you have no results to produce, that's when we fall in love with you because you're connected, you're available to connect because you're not focused. And and then when you're focused, then you're hot and we want to do you. <laughs> so not misinterpreting either one is a, is a good thing to do. And, um, but yes, it, there's so many keys to human behavior if you look through hunting and gathering between a committed state of mind and an open state of mind. And this is where in the beginning where I was talking to you about our hormones create our mind state and our mental state create our hormones. Because for example, um, if a woman notices she's got that produce results, get her done, kick some ass energy going on, and she's about to meet up with her beloved, <laughs> and it'd be really wise to shift and be more receptive to who he is, if she makes the mental decision, and maybe she puts on some favorite music, maybe she changes her clothes, but just the mental decision like, okay, stand down, there's no results to produce, I just get to be with him, find out who he is even more, okay. There's an enzyme called aromatase, and aromatase converts testosterone into estrogen. And her body will literally go to work on her becoming more in a gathering mode, what some people would call feminine. And the same thing, though, can happen to a man. So um, you guys have an expression called killing time. Do you know that expression, killing time? So I investigated that expression. <laughs> Why you call it killing time is because time is your energy, your enemy. You're pumped up, your tanks are full, you got results to produce, and nobody will open the damn gate. Let the horse out of the gate, right? And and so there's this thing called time, and you're wrecked for it, but you don't get to produce a result. You're caged. Well, a woman can cage you. She can sit down and say, listen, just listen to me. And she's now caged you because she smelled that you have enough testosterone to be useful, not knowing the impulse is to go spend it in producing results. And aromatase will kick in and convert your testosterone to estrogen. And most men have no idea this is happening biologically, but it's because of the state of mind, I'm stuck here, I don't get to go produce a result, so then the aromatase is biologically emasculating you. You're feeling yourself weakening after you've been building the strength up and you fidget and you're frustrated and you get kind of snarky and you want to solve the problem as quick as you can so you can get the heck out of there. So you identify a problem where there isn't even one. <laughs> and all that can change if a woman just says, could you help me by listening to me for 15 minutes? Just barf 
what's inside of me out. Could you help me? Could you just hold the trash and help me recover myself? Well, heck, now you get to save her. Now you have a result to produce. You have a job. You have something to do you can win at. And then hopefully at the end, she's supremely grateful for you having done that. So you've got all kinds of appreciation. So now you're going to more pumped. Let's mow the lawn. <laughs> so, yes, if we can understand that mental state, right? And even as a man, you can refuse to be emasculated. All right, would you just listen to me? No, I won't. I won't just listen to you. I'm not built that way. Call a girlfriend. <laughs> but is there something you need me to help you with or save you from? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> okay, tell me about that. So you can mentally shift. She calls it just listening. Allison says I'm saving her from the alien within. <laughs> okay, that's what I do. Mm. And then you would have been powered by it. Allison, this is so phenomenal. Everything you do is incredible. And I've, I've spent a lot of time on your website, a lot of time looking through your stuff. And there's so many courses. I'm curious if you had one or two suggestions on where the audience would go to start. Obviously, there's a lot of different problems you're solving, but you have one. You're like, hey, this is probably the place most men should begin uh, diving into my into your stuff. Yeah. Um. Well, I would definitely say the Queen's Code audiobook, which you can only get on our website, and I will read it to you, and and you'll get to find out as a man all the good reasons why you do what you do how beautiful your motivations are, and you'll get to find out why women don't understand them and why they attack you when you don't deserve it. Um, so it helps to make you uh, less susceptible, more impervious to being mm -hmm. diminished. Um, and then an online course that's a little less than eight hours and it's a packs a, a wall up because it addresses the three things that I assert are the only things we can control in a so-called relationship. And that's how are we being, what are we listening for, and what are we speaking to? Those are the only things happening. And um, so that course dispels a, a bunch of illusions that trip everybody up. And it's based on the premise, honor yourself first or all is lost. And it's it combats the don't ask, don't tell, instinctual lockdown. Don't reveal any weaknesses by asking what someone needs or supposed to already know. Don't reveal any weaknesses by saying that we need or require something. They might use it against us. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lockdown on verify and clarify <laughs> in between decide and provide. And um, and you're encouraged in that course to go out and practice the things we're teaching with other people. Share them with other people and practice, for example, changing the question you're listening with. Mm. Like, you know, the conflicts between high-performance athletes, men in this case, married to women who are upset with them, right? That, you know, his profession is his first priority. Yes, because that's what he's got to do and that's how he's going to provide for you, right? Um, but if you can understand that how we're listening 
is the filter with which we collect information. So a question a lot of women listen to their man with is, does he love me? Like, why is he talking about this if he loved me? (laughs) Why is he telling me this? Why is he telling me this now? He must not love me. Does he love me? Does he love me? And we're like searching for inner you know, for evidence. Does he love me? Well, no, he didn't do that. And no, he didn't do that. And couldn't possibly, or he wouldn't have done that. Well, if she just changes her question, how does he love me? Now her mind is on a different treasure hunt and it will find it. Or how how does he cherish me? How does he protect me? How does he provide for me? How does he care for me? How does he look after me when I've forgotten to look after myself? You go looking for that kind of evidence? Oh my gosh. And then if you need something to be different, you can ask for it, not based on a flaw, but based on a strength. Honey, you're really good at taking care of me. And there's a way that I I need for you to take care of me during this period of time in my life that would help me. Can I tell you what it is and see what you need to be willing to provide that for me? He's going to be grateful to that. What? Every man would respond perfectly. I think oh, if yes. a woman asked that question, a man would, yeah, totally. Yes. Yes. And you did something that works really well a while ago. You said, would this be a good time to transition to something else? Awesome words. Honey, would this be a good time to tell you something that's really important to me? When would be a good time to tell you something that I need in an area you're really good at? Like, well, let me finish this so I can focus and hear what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was right? clear communication. Perfect. Honey, we need to talk. When are we going to talk? Never. Next century? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, why would I walk into a cave when I know there's a bear in there? <laughs> I'm not stupid. That's right. Oh, something, something fun. So besides LUX, which stands for liberation, understanding, and extraordinary relationships. So you'll get introduced to some of the release kinds of things that we do. Um, and uh, there's something else I'd encourage both men and women to listen to, but since I think most of your audience is men, um, it's on our website under shop, and it's called... Um, why you can't trust men to tell the truth. And it sounds terrible. And when I advertised that live webinar, some of my graduates were incensed. Allison Armstrong is saying you can't trust men to tell the truth. Well, we sent it out to the men on our mailing list. Like Allison always wants you to know what she's teaching women. The subtitle to this could be (laughs) how honest men learn it's not worth it. And, but it, it's hilarious because, because you guys are so much smarter than women give you credit for. And, and a man will tell a woman his truth and she doesn't like his truth and she gets really upset about it. And she makes sure he knows how upset she is about it, thinking that if he knows how upset she is about it, she'll, ch- he'll change what's true for her, for him. He'll change what's true for him because she's so upset about it. Well, men are smarter than that. That's been true for him for a long time, and there wasn't any problem until he told you. 
<laughs> so he's going to make the appropriate adjustment, which is not to change who he is. He's just going to stop telling you. Women don't know this. Being upset changes women. We'll betray ourselves because someone's upset about how we are. So we expect a man to betray himself. If you really love me, you'll betray yourself for me. Well, what are men most ashamed of? Betraying themselves. Next to what they consider failing to protect someone that they love. So much value. I'm going to link <laughs> to that in the show notes and make sure everyone goes and listens to that. And I will do the same myself. And I think the world would just be such a better place if everyone understood this. It's like it should be curriculum, right? In, in school systems, like how to interact with humans, how to interact with the opposite yeah. sex, how to interact with yourself. Um, this is just so incredibly valuable, Allison. I'm so grateful for you making the time and joining me today. And I hope you'll come back. Are you still teaching courses in person or just online now? Um, well, this month I get to teach in person for the first time um, since 2019. Um, so it's it's called Core Partnership, and it's with horses. We actually team up with horses to teach men and women how to interact with each other from a completely different paradigm. And then at the end of October, I'm, I'm doing a live workshop in Los Angeles, a three-day live workshop, and I'm super stoked. Um, it has prerequisites. One of them is Lux and Understanding Men and Understanding Women. And we're going to do some really cool human level stuff um, to transform things like anger and competition and our relationship to our bodies. Um, we have really poor relationship to our bodies. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. Well, I hope I'm, I'm about a thousand hugs behind. It's it's funny because in my mind I'm like I hope you saw the biggest stadium that Los Angeles has, and also in my mind I'm like I hope it's a really small intimate group so you get to actually work with people one to one. It's this funny dynamic of, of everyone needs it, and uh, I'm sure it'd be just incredible to work with you in a in a small setting. So um, well, whatever it is, I'll promote it. I'd love to be there. Thank you. Well, and also just so you know, one of the benefits of me not leading live workshops is I spend more time on conference calls answering questions of people in our online curriculum, I spend more time in a month than I used to spend in a year. Mm. Um, and yeah, like Lux, someone doing Lux um, has up to three hours a month. Uh, they can be on a call asking questions or listening to other people ask questions. And we do it as a group at different levels so people get to learn from people asking questions from different courses so mm -hmm. someone in the understanding women course here's a question from someone in the lex course and they get to hear the answer to that so it's awesome. all, it all seems to have overlap yeah it sounds incredible it's the most fun oh, you are a wonderful soul i'm so grateful to have connected and for your time uh, thank you so much else you're welcome all right, that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. If you did enjoy this podcast with Allison Armstrong as much as I did, I'm sure she would absolutely appreciate a follow on social media. Give her a shout out. Tell her she's awesome. We always love to hear from people who are in, we're impacting in any way. I know Allison is impacting millions and millions of people in the world. 
And uh, hopefully she continues to do this for many years to come. I don't see her stopping anytime soon. That level of passion is rare. And uh, that framing around men and women is just such a truly a gift. So Allison Armstrong on social media. You can also check out the show notes for this podcast and, and our sponsors for this podcast at muscleintelligence.com slash podcast. We continue to bring you the best information we can on the planet to help you truly thrive in life. And I hope now you see the value in creating an amazing space at home that can ultimately be your zen haven. You go home, you get to relax. You get to enjoy someone's love and connection. Such a big part of our humanness, of our human experience to be able to connect people with somebody else. Ladies and gents, thank you for being here. Thank you for always choosing the Most Intelligence Podcast. If you're not already subscribed to our podcast, go ahead and do so now so you don't miss another amazing episode ever. Doing our best to come at you uh, twice a week, every week, with incredible information from all around the world. If you have a review or a comment, please go ahead and leave that for us either on YouTube or anywhere else that amazing podcasts are downloaded and listened to. Have an amazing day. Live your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.